One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Today we've got a crazy revenge story of getting a building condemned. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, call me a race trader and a PM on Reddit? Let's destroy your life. A few years ago, on a different Reddit account, I mentioned that I was in an interracial relationship. A Redditor reached out to me and told me I was a race traitor and unfaithful to my race. I was like, um, what the freak, bro? I looked at his account. It was six years old, which told me his username was likely something he used a lot. So I started Googling his username at Gmail, username at Yahoo, etc, etc, and I found a match with Hotmail. A guy by the name of, let's say, Jeff, was selling some NFL game tickets and had posted his email. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean it's the same person. However, in the post, he mentioned a city in America and that he was a fan of a particular football team. And under the Reddit user post history, he posted quite a bit in the respective city subreddit. He mentioned going to NFL games, and in another post, he also said he was born in Canada. So, through the ad for the NFL ticket, I figured out his real name. I found his biography on his employer's website. He was a senior level manager, so they had a bio for him. In that bio, they mentioned he was born in Canada, was a fan of said NFL team, and loved living in the city. I also found his LinkedIn page during this time, so I sent him a connect request on LinkedIn, which he accepted. I figured he would because he had 500 plus connections. So here's what we know. His username matches his email handle, he likes the NFL team, he lives in a said city that P posts in said city's subreddit, he was born in Canada. I then found his Facebook page. His Facebook page was public and he posted what I would describe as semi-racist material. Also his Reddit page was significantly more racist. Based on the numerous connecting factors, I determined it was him. So I create a report. I include screenshots and links and summarized my findings in that report. Now, based on this person's position in his company, he likely had a significant role in deciding who this company employs. Also, his company clearly stated they were an equal opportunity employer. So I called their HR department, I found the number and I called them and I asked them, would you be concerned if a senior level manager in your organization was a proud racist and degraded your equal opportunity employment policies? They were concerned. So I told them I'd done an investigation into one of their senior level managers and described that he was racist and I'd put together all of my evidence and findings in a report and could email it over to them. I emailed them the report. A few weeks later, I called to get an update and I was told they appreciated my report. However, they would have to comment on the status of their decision and make public statements in regard. Basically, thanks for letting us know, but we aren't going to tell you crap. That's fine. So I waited another month and I kept checking his LinkedIn page. Then one day, I saw a LinkedIn post from him in which he said he was looking for a new opportunity and if anyone had any positions open. So I messaged him on Reddit and I told him, Hey bro, heard you got fired. Just want you to know that I'm the reason why. He threatened to find out who I was, hunt me down, R-word my spouse and strangle me to death. So I reported him to Reddit admins who promptly permabanned him. 
Now, he really should have learned his lesson, because guess what? He didn't connect the dots. He didn't know I could see all his LinkedIn activity. He didn't know who I was. He simply acted in rage. So I put his newest message in his folder and added it to the report. Because, you see, I can be an incredibly vindictive jerk. I checked his LinkedIn once a week. Good news, he got another job. Bad news, their HR department was also quite easy to get a hold of and discuss their new hire's online racist threatening behavior. However, let's just say I have a lovely conversation with this HR representative. She was a woman, and based on how she sounded and her name, I suspect she was a woman of color. So, yeah, I'm not sure what happened after this, because a few weeks later his internet history was cleaned up, and his LinkedIn page was deleted. However, this company listed their senior management, which was what his position was. I never saw his name listed. What I suspect happened is after HR reviewed my evidence, they terminated his employment with them. I would have totally have gone after him a third time, but he got smart the second time around. Hey, by the way, Jeff, if you see this post, I'd love for you to send me a new message. I really enjoyed the little game I played with you. I also question how you handled getting fired from two jobs back to back on your resume and in future job interviews. It's already bad enough to have beliefs like this guy did, but if you're also going to spout them online to other people, you probably don't want to do it in a way that could be traced back to you, but to end up having those beliefs, they probably weren't the brightest to begin with. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of revenge, why not hit that subscribe button down below? That said, our next story is, cheating student thought he had me fooled, fell right into my trap. So, I'm a cancer researcher and a guest professor at a university's school of medicine, teaching my specialty, imaging. Besides the usual acquisitions of medical images using MRI, CT, etc., imaging has a lot to do with image processing. Some days I'm just a glorified programmer slash IT guy, and as anyone who's ever programmed anything will tell you, coding is a very personal activity. With enough experience, you can tell who wrote what just by looking at the lines. I'm also in my late 20s and I'm not native to this country and it's my first year as guest professor. So some students look at me as this inexperienced, gullible, foreign guy. As part of my module's grading, the students have to submit two reports that weigh 10% each of their final grade. These reports are about image processing and they have to code a fair bit. As usual, there are students that make an effort, some do minimal work and then some cheat or copy. As I was grading the reports, I noticed a small group of students who found reports from previous years online, and literally copy and pasted those reports, changing only their name. It was a facepalm moment because those reports weren't even good and had a lot of errors. You see, in order to establish a baseline for my grading, I browsed previous years reports, so I knew what to expect from the students of this module. Naturally, I graded them all with zero and kept working my way through grading the reports I had left. Meanwhile, the students casually asked me in the halls how the reports were. Of course, I can't comment on that until I release the grades. One time, this dude who had copied from another report, a 98% match on plagiarism checker, asks me when I'll release the grades and comes up with this story that he worked really hard on his reports that his exam hasn't gone so well and that he's hoping that the grade on his reports are enough to get a pass. I mean, submitting another person's work as your own is very wrong, 
but it was an online submission and impersonal. Right now, he was just lying through his teeth and my face. I could feel my blood boiling, but I didn't lose my composure and decided to come up with a plan. I knew that my exam was the last exam of the semester, and that after that, the students usually go home or on family vacations while they wait for their grades to be posted online. So I graded the exams and input their grades into my Excel with their report grades. Four students had zero due to cheating on their reports, and if I graded the reports with 50% of the max grade, they would barely fail the module, but they would fail nonetheless. So it was on. In order to be fair, I bumped everyone else's grades, a bunch of people with miserable reports ended up barely passing because of my grade bump. But even though their reports were bad, it was their own work and not copied from anywhere. You see, students are entitled to make an appointment to review their grades after publishing and before the grades are locked for the year. Basically, they sit with me, we go through their exam and reports, and their goal is to convince me to give them the extra points and hope that they pass the module. I knew the cheaters would come. After all, they think they fooled me once already, and they still have half the report's points to bargain for. So I just waited for their emails. Lo and behold, they write me the same day the grades go online saying how hard they've worked on their reports and that they don't understand how they only got 50% and that they wanted an appointment. I was ecstatic. Sure, let's review your grades. Do you remember that my exam was the last one? Well, they were already on vacations, some very far away and begged me for an online appointment. No can do, university policy. Moreover, you have three days to show for your appointment, otherwise the grades are locked. Also university policy. So here they come, cutting their vacations short and catching planes. Some spent hours in buses and trains to make it on time. I know what many of you are thinking. They come, I show them the plagiarism checker results and reveal that I know it's not their work and send them on their way. Well, I considered it, but I had something better in mind. Those appointments usually take 10 minutes. I show them their work with my notes on what's wrong and right, and they try to find some inconsistencies in my grading and bargain for more points. I ain't giving you the opportunity. (laughs) So one by one, they sit with me individually, and I go through their exams and reports. Remember that they copied the reports and copied bad ones with lots of errors? I ask questions, lots of them. Why did you do this? What's your reasoning for this? They don't know, it's not their work. They mumble random stuff because they don't know what to answer. Point by point, mistake by mistake. I explain why it was wrong, how it should be done, lecturing the same material that they'd already been lectured on during class. I make it long, I make it boring, I make it painful. I spent hours with each one of them throughout those three days. They always came with the same, I worked so hard on this, and a little smirk on their face because they thought it should be really easy to fool me. The gullible foreign again. As the hours go by and I'm walking through the errors one by one, I could see their expression change. Little by little, their hopes of passing being slowly crushed. And when they realized that I knew they cheated and I wasn't going to give up any extra points, At this point, they try to cut short their appointment and leave. I wouldn't let them. We need to finish the review of your grades. It's university policy. And I just kept going 
extending their misery for one more hour or two. It was legal torture, plain and simple. It was glorious. At the end, every single one of them left with a crushed soul look in their eyes and a fail in my class. They knew that I caught them, that I baited them and they fell for it. They ruined their vacation and their family vacations, spent money to travel back and forth, wasted precious summertime, got bored to death and have nothing to show for it. And next year, they'll have to repeat the module with me. I hope you enjoy your summer. See you next year. I can't say that I myself would be above trying a plagiarism thing if it seemed possible to get away with it, but I don't think you can't say they didn't deserve this. Our next story is, post office said I couldn't file a complaint about the mailman not trying to deliver my packages because I had no proof. So I got proof. For context, in my country, if your package gets sent through the National Post Service, you're basically screwed. It takes 200 years and they never actually deliver it. I don't know how it is in other countries, but here, they're supposed to ring the doorbell if the package doesn't fit the mailbox, and if you don't answer, they leave a notice and you have to go and pick it up all the way at the post office. The problem is that my mailman doesn't even try to deliver them. He just leaves the notice without even ringing the doorbell and leaves. I've had to pick up nearly every package I've ordered because of that. Well, the last time was my last straw. I was obviously home because of the pandemic. Suddenly, I received a call that immediately hung up. It was so fast that my phone didn't even ring, just showed up as a missed call. No doorbell, nothing. I suspected it was the mailman and ran to the door, only to find him inside the truck, looking straight at me before driving off. Well, I was pissed and I called the post office to file a complaint. I explained the situation and the lady told me that I couldn't file a complaint because they're only instructed to ring the doorbell and calling is optional and I couldn't prove that he didn't ring it. At first, I just avoided using them again at all costs, but the other day I ordered something and chose a delivery company from the ones listed on the website. Apparently that company hires the National Post Service to deliver for them here. When I found out, I basically stalked the tracking info for days. It was about two weeks late, until one day, late at night, it said it had arrived in my country, which usually means that the next day it's going to be delivered. The next day, I woke up at 7am to check. My suspicions were correct. It said, out for delivery. I quickly grabbed something to eat, got on my car and parked right outside my house. Then I waited and waited and waited. Six hours in total until I finally see the post truck pulling over. I grabbed my phone to record and watched as the mailman opened the door already either the notice in hand, slid it inside my mailbox and turned around. I got out of the car and said, excuse me, what are you doing? He didn't even look at me and said, just delivering packages miss. Then I stood there as that jerk grabbed his phone to call me and If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quickly hung up, I smiled as I took my phone out of my pocket and sarcastically stated, Oh, bummer, you didn't even give me time to reach for the phone. He literally turned white, couldn't even speak. I continued, Now, can you give me my package, please? He quickly opened the truck, almost tripped, and took out my package. I said, See, wasn't that easier than your whole scheme? He finally manages to say, sorry miss. I turned around and left. He probably thought he got lucky I didn't say anything else, but little did he know that I sent the video to the post office via email attached to my complaint. Well, let's just say I have a new mailman. This one tries to leave one second after ringing the doorbell, but at least he tries. I get it's not always safe to just leave a package wherever and I'm assuming they have a lot of packages to deliver, so I don't really blame them for ringing once and pretty much dipping almost right away. At least the new one tries. This next story is, school expelled me for mom's anger. We sued the county and caused a reform. So I have a really bad leg. I've had 13 surgeries, long story, and had just started at a new school. After the first three weeks, I had to go in for another procedure on my leg. Not that big a deal to me, I've been here before. Upon my return, I had documentation of my restriction as well as special amenities that were required. The big three were that I needed extra time to get from class to class, I must have someone to escort me, and I needed unrestricted access to the elevator. All of these got me recurring problems, such as constant harassment by teachers and security about my being in the halls during class time and why my cousin was out too. He was filling the role as my escort, as I have anxiety problems and we had the same classes. The first two were annoying but easy enough to deal with. The real issue was the elevator, as I was told multiple times that for security issues, I couldn't have a personal key due to it sharing the same functionality with the interior door keys. I would never have any issue with this, as I was told there was always someone on the same floor as my classes to open the elevator for me. This, of course, was untrue about 75% of the time. The lack of elevator access meant that I was always stuck in the halls when other students were going to class to class and was consistently late due to having to wait for someone to come by and open the door for the elevator. This also meant that I would sometimes be stuck waiting through the entire lunch period and due to my absences, couldn't afford to simply go to lunch after the fact. After about three weeks of this, I was tired of not getting to eat lunch. So I did one of the stupidest things I could have attempted and tried to use the stairs. For context, I wasn't on crutches, I was on a full-blown walker. 
About halfway down to the landing, I fell. Hard. As lunch was letting out, one of my friends found me, got someone to help pick me up, and carried me to the office. Another of my friends went to find my other cousin. The one who normally escorted me wasn't there due to being sick. So I was without escort because I couldn't bear the thought of, gasp, a stranger escorting me, who, when getting to the office, managed to get me to calm down enough to give them my mother's number. Now, my mother is quite hot-tempered, but can keep a level head normally. When she heard I fell, she was in there in record time. When she got there, she immediately asked what happened. I told her I didn't want to miss lunch again, so I tried to use the stairs. Big mistake, as that set off a SAR bomba-sized explosive. She immediately turned around and demanded for the principal and VP to get their butts in here ASAP. As soon as the principal and VP walked in, she started berating them in a fashion not suitable for most adults to hear, let alone kids. When the VP made an offhand remark about my condition, my mother was swarmed by local sheriffs that provided security for the school's entrances and office, as she physically went after the VP. We were escorted out, and after looking at the file and realizing my cousin and I had the same address, they figured out I didn't actually live there. Now, my grandmother's address was listed as she was looking after me after I left school, up until around 8pm. She was also raising my cousin after an issue between her and my aunt. They used this as grounds to expel me, and told her, I can be some other school's problem now. I was then enrolled at the school near my house and had to have yet another surgery to repair the damage that was done as a result of my fall and redo the work of the previous procedure. I had gotten multiple statements from teachers as well as my doctors and my parents were moving forward with a lawsuit naming the VP, principal and the county school board. We were contacted by a lawyer who had won multiple cases against our school board, some of which went to the state supreme court and he told us he would like to take our case pro bono. He was getting tired of going against the board and thought a case like this would be what it took to try and fix their stuff. Fast forward nine months and I was walking out of court with a settlement to cover all my procedures as well as a written confirmation that the school would be going through a complete administrative overhaul and that the principal and VP would be let go and have their administrative credentials revoked in our state. My new school was let known day one, my medical requirements, and my need for a personal elevator key by the superintendent and the head of the state board of education. To be honest, I've never heard of anybody having a personal elevator key, even with an injury, but maybe I just never really noticed. Our next story is, Slumlord won't let the company out of a five-year lease, I get the building condemned. To start, this is about the company I work for and a trip I took because I had to wire a building for a computer network because the building owner wouldn't. Backstory, our company was moving a remote site to a new building. As the IT guy for the company, I was asked to look at the new building and get network ports marked out. The landlord refused to put in any low voltage lines and we got quotes but they were thousands of dollars. Enter me, my car, and four boxes of Cat6 Plenum. It's about an 8 hour drive and I was doing about 30 drops. Not a ton, but still a few days work in some place that's already built up and it's drop ceiling with insulation on top. Messy, itchy work. Day 1, we get there Monday morning at the start of the month. It's actually a cool summer morning and we're further south, 
so no one notices the AC not working for about an hour. Slowly, the building begins heating up. It gets to 80 by noon, 85 by 3 p.m. The rooms with floor-to-ceiling windows are greenhouses. It's absolutely miserable. We've been told by the workers still on site that the leasing company was told there was no AC in our building three weeks ago. The other thing is there are still workers on site. The building isn't completed. So much for being ready for a handover day one. Day two, we're getting agitated. It's 80 degrees in the AM when we first walk in. It's sweltering. The other guy that came up with me is the facilities manager. He's screaming at people over the phone to fix the freaking AC. We're all exhausted from the heat by 3 p.m. I found a four-foot hole in the ducting when I opened the ceiling tile. The AC was blowing, but there was no cold air. We're told the compressor is broken. Day three, more of the same. Miserable in the morning, I'm finally getting the last lines punched in on the patch panel. The AC guys arrive at about 10 a.m. They finally fix the unit at 2 p.m. We ask them what they did. They said, a lot of things. We again said, what did you do? The reply was, we can't tell the tenants. Red flag alert. We contacted our realtor. She said she would look into what was done. She sends an email later that night that says, they changed the refrigerant from R22 to R410A. I tell the facilities guy, no way dude, that's like putting gas in a diesel motor. They'd have to change out the entire system. They didn't do that in four hours. They basically duct taped and WD-40'd that thing back together, and it'll run poorly for a month or so, then give out and we'd be stuck with a replacement. Day four, still no running water to some areas, still workers on site. The AC can't keep up with the noonday sun, and it still hits around 80 by the end of the day. AC runs continuously. We're packing up all the stuff we moved in and moving out. I noticed all the fire sprinklers look like they've been moved, and the metal protection around the drop tile has fallen to the floor. The sprinklers are no longer protruding from the tiles in places. In others, they're quite a bit lower than they were. Yep. The AC fools stood on the fire sprinklers to fix their lousy ductwork. We're looking for a friendly way out. We contact the landlord and say, you haven't delivered a finished building. We're moving out. The lease is broken. Landlord has a 36-page lease. The landlord won't let us out of the lease. It's five years. This is not starting off well. We get in contact with the corporate lawyer and the realtor, and they both agree that we're kind of screwed. We are desperate for any way out. I start looking at the fire system. I used to run all kinds of low voltage lines, fire, security, etc. There is no fire panel in our portion of the building. No smoke detectors are hooked up to anything. More red flags. One of our employees was moving heavy gear says, Oh yeah, I meant to mention, I never saw any building permits anywhere. Ding, ding, ding. They did this build out including demolition, running new plumbing and power lines, and destroying the fire system without a city permit. Cue the call to city inspector's office. Day 5. I wasn't here for this part, but the facilities manager told me this. The city inspector pulled the permits for the building. There weren't any. He finds multiple violations of city code. Red tagged our area, removed the certificate of occupancy. When I told him to check the fire system like you said, he just goes, oh no no no, I have to make a call. He calls the fire marshal. Day 8, the fire marshals arrive on the scene, find no active alarm system in our portion of the building, red tag. 
find the sprinkler riser for the entire building in our area, no water pressure. Condemned the entire building. Basically, they wouldn't let us out of the building because we signed a lease, even though they never delivered a building in any semblance of working order. Called the building inspector, got them smoked, who then called the fire marshal, who condemned the entire building. They're still trying to fight us over it, but we're pushing for them not only refunding our deposit and the rent, which they've already done, but for all the time spent moving gear in and out and all the wiring. Our lawyer says they don't have a leg to stand on, and he's happy for them to pay his fees as well. Take this as a huge dodged bullet. If you went and agreed to a five-year lease in a situation where they could dump a condemnable, unprepared building on you and you couldn't get out of it, you need to really reconsider the lease structuring in the future. Our next story is, what happens when engineering students are asked to truck-proof a mailbox? Yes, I know there's a lot of mailbox stories on here, but I just learned this story from my dad involving my uncle Dale, family friend who passed away a few months ago, and figured you guys would get a kick out of it. Years ago, back when Uncle Dale and Dad were university students, their engineering professor came to their class with a problem that needed solving. His mailbox was getting broken by someone driving by every night. He and his wife had put something like four or five mailboxes up, and all four or five times, the mailbox had been knocked over by someone driving a red truck. This professor offered extra credit to any group of students who could come up with a truck-proof mailbox that not only fit with city regulations but within a budget of $20, which back then was a good-sized chunk of change. Well, if anyone here knows anything about engineers, as dad puts it, they love solving problems, and if it's engineering students, they'll make it an experience to remember. Dad and Uncle Dale got together and got to work. They found a steel bar that fits within mailbox regulations. Posts have to be a specific height, width, and depth, and filled the inside with a mixture of concrete and steel rebar. Once the concrete had cured, they welded eight rebar to the sides of the bar, bent them in half, and stuck it inside a bucket. To add extra weight, they filled the bucket with the heaviest rocks they could find. As a finishing touch, they painted it brown and black to look like wood and put the ugliest mailbox we could find on sale on top, welding it down for good measure. They brought this monstrosity into class, more dragged it because it was so heavy, and told the professor to bury the bucket where the mailbox stood. Since they were first to turn in their project, the professor agreed to give it a try. That night, the professor and his wife were awoken by a metallic Bang! Followed by a lot of cursing. They went outside and, wouldn't you know it, there was that red truck speeding away, the mailbox still standing. At the base was a broken wooden baseball bat. Two days later, the professor gets a bill in the mail for a hospital visit. Turns out when the passenger hit the mailbox, he did some serious damage to his arm and shoulder. They were planning on suing the professor, but the professor hired a lawyer who basically told the plaintiffs, you're just going to admit that you were vandalizing the mailbox multiple times? That shut them up. To the best of my dad's knowledge, the mailbox is still standing. The other students who still brought in mailboxes had theirs gifted to different professors throughout the town and are also still standing. If you're going to be the jerk that keeps repeatedly trashing mailboxes, you kind of deserve the damage, and you deserve to lose the bat. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another awesome story of revenge, 
check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.